I want to talk this morning about friendship. And I'm not going to say everything there is to say about friendship. It's not going to be a seven-hour sermon, okay? I just want to talk about a couple ideas around friendship. And one of them is probably an idea that we don't maybe not even see as a healthy practice in friendship, but it's something that we probably should examine. So that's kind of where I want to go this morning. And I think it'd be a good idea to just pause right here and pray. Let's pray. Father, we just invite you into this time together this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it connects with our lives, for the principles we find there to instruct us in our day-to-day. Um, thank you you take an interest in, in that in our lives. And you want us, your desire for us is to live, uh, live healthy lives full of healthy relationships and that reflect uh, you to others. And um, we just pray that you guide us now. Um, may your Holy Spirit prompt us and may we respond in an appropriate way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is an exciting topic for me because I feel like so much value has been added to my life through long-term friendships. Um, And I understand in a really personal way the strength of genuine friendships. Um, And as great as some of my friendships were, like my childhood friends, like you had those, right? Your childhood friends and my college friends and and, and friends in my early adult years, those, those were great. They were all meaningful. But like today, my most significant friendships today are right here at Faith Community, and I'm, I'm excited about to talk a little bit about this topic this morning. I talk to people all the time about their friendships, or maybe their lack of friendships. We have those conversations too. I talk to people who are looking for real friends. Some of them show up to church because they're thinking maybe this would be a place I can find some real friends. I talk to parents who are concerned about their kids because they think their kids might need a new circle of friends. I I talk to married people whose real problem is that they aren't friends anymore. I'm talking to people who are like, "I've I've got a friendship. I'm just I just don't think it's good for me. Like, he's my friend, she's my friend, but it's, it's kind of killing me. Like, how, what do I go, do now? How do I navigate this? Is it time to end this friendship, and how do I go about that? And probably every person that I've talked to about those kinds of things, at some point along the way, like, friends have intersected with major decisions that we've made, right? F- friends are a part of the decisions we're making right now. And the thing that is frustrating to me sometimes as an outsider, as I see that happening, uh, the thing it's frustrating is that I can't do anything about that. Have you been there before watching someone, watching a friend navigate a major decision with other friends and you're like, that decision, that is not going in a good place and you want so much to get in there and uh, just put the brakes on and uh, there's not a lot you can do or say. Like, I can't say, you know what, I see some stuff going on and I think you ought to come to my office and I think in about 45 minutes we can probably fix this and you'll be good to go and all your friendships will be super healthy and you'll have all the friends you could ever need or want. That would be super, that'd be great. I'd also write a best-selling book. But it's a real problem and um, there's a real solution. But a lot of times we can't do anything about that watching from the outside. Because friendship is one of those things, it's so nuanced, right? And it's about chemistry. You know, I can introduce you to somebody but that doesn't mean you're going to become friends because there's a chemistry about friendship. Friendship is something that we're looking for, but we can't manufacture it. It's something that we know when we see it, and yet we can't just make it happen on our own. So and again, the reason this is, gets a little frustrating for me is because uh, I believe God says, and my experience definitely bears witness to, witness to this, that our friendships influence and sometimes determine the direction, and the quality of our lives. You know this to be true. Our friendships influence and sometimes determine the direction and the quality 
of our lives. And our friends, like the people we allow in the inner circle of our lives, they influence and in many cases determine the direction of our lives. So therefore, whoever is on the inside of our lives, those people who we consider our friends, that's very, very important. It isn't just a casual thing. It isn't just, uh, oh, this is nice to have as an add-on. They are crucial to our social development, to our mental health, to our emotional health, to our spiritual growth. Because the people that we surround ourselves with highly influence and impact, and in some cases, determine the direction and the quality of our lives. So as we get into this, I think it'd be good if we had a a definition uh, of of friendship. So let's talk a little bit about this. So I just have just some couple of thoughts that I think we can build a definition around. Um, and we're going to use this as our working definition as we talk about friendship this morning. Number one, friendship, you want to write this down, this, is, this, is, this will rock your world. Friendship is a relationship. <laughs> you glad you came? Uh, so it's a relationship. And it's a relationship, though, that's characterized by three essentials. So number one, I would say it's a relationship characterized by, number one, enjoyment. By enjoyment. So like the reason your friends are your friends is because you enjoy being with them. A friend is someone you look forward to seeing. It isn't like, i got to put up with this guy again. Ugh, when are they going to leave? You know, how long are they going to stay? It isn't that kind of thing. A real friendship, you enjoy it, and the time flies by. Like, you kind of lose track of time when you're together. Secondly, it's a relationship characterized by acceptance. A friend is someone you can be with, and you can say, kind of whatever you feel like you need to say, and it isn't going to come back to haunt you. Like you feel totally accepted. You can lose your temper. You can blow off steam. You can be critical of each other and even other people because that's a whole lot of fun. And you can just be yourself and no one's, that, like they're not going to reject you and you don't feel like your relationship is on the line. You're completely accepted and that's been established. So we can, we're going to come back to that one. And then number three, it's a relationship characterized by genuine concern. That is, this is a relationship where the person who's in this relationship with you is in the relationship for you. They're not just in it for themselves, they're in it for you. And it's a mutual thing, right? You care for them, they care for you. It's a relationship characterized by enjoyment, acceptance, and genuine concern. So here's, here's an observation, the things I've kind of seen and heard over nearly 35 years of church ministry. My observation is this, that most of the people I talk to who struggle, are struggling in kind of a friendship kind of relationship thing, their friendships are characterized by enjoyment and acceptance, and it stops there. Like their relationships, the people they would call their friends or consider friends, or look forward to spending time with in and, and, and their relationships where there's a great deal of enjoyment and acceptance, but that is kind of it. Enjoyment? Yeah, that's important. Like, uh, that's why we have friends, because we enjoy their company. And acceptance? Uh, acceptance is like the glue that holds the, fr- the relationship together. Um, here's the thing. God created us to be relational creatures, and consequently, we are drawn toward acceptance. And when we walk into an environment we feel, and we feel accepted, we are drawn into that environment. So this is the thing that holds friendships together. Acceptance is the glue. When we feel like we can be ourselves and we're not going to be rejected, uh, we like it there. When you came in here this morning, and if you came in here by yourself, maybe the first few faces you saw were unfamiliar. 
or maybe they're familiar just because you see them anytime you're here. So you see them on Sunday, they're Sunday faces, but you've never had a conversation with those people. I bet, I bet you didn't just walk up to a group of strangers who were in a conversation, a group of people who maybe you've never really talked to, you're not even sure their names, you had to look at their name tag and say, hi, my name is, you know, whatever, and I want to meet some new people today and I really want to get to know some people. So what's your name? Probably didn't do that. If you sat down next to two or three people and they're all talking together, you didn't probably say, excuse me, excuse me, what are you talking about? I'd like to get to know you all. Like, can I get in on this? That's weird. If you walked in here by yourself, or maybe you, uh, you probably, I think if you walked in here by yourself, you probably walked in and kind of stood on the peripheral, because that's how most of us function. We're going we're gonna to survey the landscape first. Or maybe you came right in and sat down bypassed all the conversation stuff and came in and sat down. Or maybe it's why you come in two minutes before church starts. So you can hit the coffee thing and come right in and sit down without having to talk to people you don't know. And if you had to walk by somebody you don't know real well, you probably try not to make too much eye contact because that's weird as well. And the whole time, it is for me. And the whole time, I'm not really a people person, just so you know. And the whole time you're, 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 looking, you're looking for somebody that's familiar right? That's what we're looking for. Because we're looking for someone familiar because we're drawn toward acceptance and we're drawn towards what is comfortable and we want that familiar face. So it's like you see somebody across the room who's familiar to you, maybe because you actually had a little interaction here one time, or maybe because you know them from another setting and you're like, ah, a familiar face. I might be comfortable here after all. I might like this church. This might be a good morning after all. Because you're like me. We are drawn toward acceptance. And God made us that way. We are acceptance magnets. Like we're just drawn in that direction. Our hearts move into an environment. We're drawn into an environment by acceptance. It's this acceptance thing that for many of us makes home a wonderful place to be. Because for many of us, like, we're, like we just can't wait to get home. Because it's like... <sighs> Like, I can be myself here, I can be who I am, and I like it here. It also explains why maybe some of you would rather be somewhere else other than home, like anywhere other than home, somewhere where you are accepted for who you are because you don't find that in your own home. And this acceptance thing explains something else. It explains why maybe some of us here are in relationships that we don't need to be in, or you're contemplating relationships that you don't need to be in. And it's why you can't leave. It's why it's hard to leave. Because where we find acceptance, we tend to lock in. And it's because God made us to be relational beings. So let me just say this also about acceptance. That in, in a relationship where there's a great deal of acceptance and a great deal of enjoyment, if the acceptance drops off, regardless of how much enjoyment there is, the relationship eventually fizzles. It might even end. Like, no matter how much you enjoy certain things with a person, if the acceptance is no longer there, the relationship eventually ends. It's why, like, in a marriage, you, you can be married and have the same things kind of in common as when you started dating and when you be, 
were engaged and when you were first married, all those things are still like there and in place, the common interests and all that, the important things like what kind of TV shows you like and the music you like to listen to and all the critical things. But suddenly there's friction, right? And somehow those things, those things like aren't holding uh, you together the way they used to. Uh, but for now, like you're still there, you're still together. It's because of acceptance and ex- acceptance will overpower enjoyment. But the opposite is not true. Like, think of this. Acceptance is, is so strong and such a driving force in our friendships and relationships that we will stay in friendships and in relationships where the circumstances have made the relationship far less enjoyable, and yet because the acceptance is there, we stay locked in. Like, maybe, maybe you've stayed in relationships where there's been this high degree of immorality, and... People in that relationship felt guilty all the time. Maybe you, I don't know, but you stayed in the relationship. You didn't even enjoy it anymore, but you stayed. Maybe, like maybe this is your deal right now, I don't know. Like maybe you do the after work thing and you're involved in things that you don't believe in and you're involved in things that you told your kids not to get involved in and your conscience is kind of in turmoil, but you, you go and you, you're, you're in that environment and it's because there's the sense of camaraderie and acceptance there and you're willing to sacrifice the things you say you believe because there's this thing, there's this chemistry and you can't seem to break away from that because acceptance is a powerful, powerful driving force behind our friendships, and it's a thing that holds them together. But listen, it's not enough for a real, genuine, authentic friendship. I think we can, we can, we can describe the, the, uh, or illustrate the acceptance thing in, in lighter ways too. Like, like I could go around the room and like, okay, let's, let's, let's make a list on the screen of all the characteristics you want in a friend. And somebody would say things like honesty, good one, write that down. And somebody else would say loyalty, that's a good one, write that down. Somebody would say somebody who can like keep a confidence, yep, write that down. All these kinds of things that we want in a friend. But do you, when you began making friends, you didn't make your friends according to a list, I, I don't think. Like you were just drawn toward acceptance. In fact, most of us probably didn't even initiate the friendships, right? We didn't even go intentionally make friends. We just found ourselves in an environment and in a relationship that was characterized by acceptance. And if you didn't, like, you'd, you'd be going around with a list, like a little, I don't know, a clipboard or something like, excuse me, can I talk with you for a minute? I'm kind of interested in maybe being your friend, but uh, these are the characteristics that are important to me I'm looking for. Maybe we can talk about these things sometime. I mean, I don't know what kind of nerd culture you've lived in, but that's not really how, how it works for most people. Enjoyment, acceptance, and genuine concern. Two out of three isn't enough. Some of you are probably sorry you came now. You didn't know I was going to talk about this, sorry. But the truth is, if you're in a relationship, maybe with a group of people, with an individual, and there's a high degree of enjoyment, there's a high degree of acceptance. And along with that, there's, this, there's a lot of guilt. And there's pain. And there's stuff you wish wasn't true in the context of that relationship. Maybe what God wants to say to you this morning is this, that I created you. I created you for relationship. I created you for acceptance. I have a standard for friendship. I want you to adopt my standard. And when we do that, We experience friendship at such a level, such a depth, that nothing compares to that. 
But in order to do that, we have to begin to renew our minds, begin to see friendship the way God sees it, and allow it to function in our lives the way that God intended it to function. Because he knows my friends and your friends will influence and in some cases determine the direction and the quality of our lives. So this third characteristic of friendship is this thing we call genuine concern. Genuine concern is this. It's when I am more interested in what's best for you than I am interested in what's best for the friendship. It's when I'm more interested in what's best for you than what's best for the friendship. It's when I put what's best for you ahead of what's best for us. It's when I'm willing to potentially sacrifice the friendship for the sake of doing and saying what's best for you. That's genuine concern. That's, it's when the relationship takes a back seat to the individual. It's when you're in this relationship for me and I'm in this relationship for you. Genuine, mutual, authentic concern for one another. That's what makes friendship like gold. Like, that's what makes a friendship something you can't just replace and you, you don't want to let go of it for anything. So yes, there's a high degree of enjoyment, and yeah, you can be who you are, and you know that person is there for you, and you're there for them. I think these three things, there's more, but we're just going to kind of land here. These things are the core of what makes up a real friendship. And many of us in this room have, I hope, have experienced uh, friendships where all three of those things were in place, and we're thankful for that. I guarantee that all of us have experienced friendships where we've just had the first two, the enjoyment and acceptance. And it's this discussion that makes something that Jesus said so um, incredibly significant. And uh, we're going to look at a passage in John 15, just a couple of verses. And this week as I was studying, I, just, I stopped and thanked God for the significance of these words in light of like, what we've said about friendship. Because in these verses, Jesus sets the standard for friendship that he wants me to hold to and that he wants you to hold to as we do life in context of friendships as followers of Jesus. In John chapter 15, verse 12, these are familiar verses. Jesus said, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He's like, when you think about your horizontal relationships, when you think about your relationships with each other, the standard isn't enjoyment, the standard isn't just acceptance, the standard is love, which means I'm in this for you, you're in this for me, like, and here's the part that kind of blows my mind, because this is all one thought here. He defines it even more, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's like, just in case you missed it, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of love, the kind of relationship where you're willing to sacrifice not only the relationship, you're willing to sacrifice your life for this other person. In other words, friendship isn't about maintaining a friendship. Friendship is about the other person. It's about being in a relationship where there is genuine mutual concern. And then here's a part that might take your breath away. Verse 14, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus, our Savior, God, our Creator, Jesus says to mere mortals, I'm giving you, no, not just permission, I am inviting you to relate to me, not as some big old God out there somewhere high on a hill looking down forevermore, not that, not any of that. I'm inviting you to relate to me as friend, as friend. Think about that. 
you know what the qualification is? The people he's talking to, these are, these are men who had already believed that he was the Messiah. He said the only qualification for this, you know, to be uh, I'm a friend, you're a friend kind of thing, I just want you to love other people. Because when you're loving other people, you're loving me. And that's how we're going to do this friendship thing. And I invite you, Jesus says, to be my friend. So here's what he says in verse 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So this is what I don't want you to miss. Jesus does two things in this passage. He defined what real friendship's all about. It's not just about enjoyment and it's not just about acceptance. It's about this give and take thing where I'm in it for you and you're in it for me. And then secondly, he said, not only am I setting the standard, but I'm also modeling it for you. And you can consider me your friend. Then the most um, incredible thing, and maybe this will be an encouragement to you. The people who watched Jesus came to this conclusion. (laughs) They accused him. You know what they said? They said, this man is a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Like, as we've watched this guy, the worst elements of our society like him. They like him, and he likes them. Like, they hang out. They do meals in their houses together. That's just weird. It's so, like, unreligious. It's so uncool, and it's kind of unacceptable to us. These awful, low-life, scumbag people, they like Jesus, and he likes them. What is the deal? This is unbelievable. And when we think about that, he's passed all the criteria for friendship with flying colors, right? Because we think enjoyment, and you're like, well, when I think friendship with Jesus, I don't necessarily think enjoyment. Like, I think of long sermons and Sunday mornings where I, you know, can't sleep in and singing songs that aren't my favorites. And we can't ever have any fun when we're friends with Jesus because I don't, that, that's what I think of. But you know what he said in the same passage? He says, I'm telling you all of this so that your joy may be complete. And enjoyment is usually about our circumstances, right? But joy is about something on the inside that allows you to be happy, allows me to be happy regardless of the circumstances. Then acceptance. Let me kind of paraphrase paraphrase a verse. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans uh, chapter 5, where basically he said, while you didn't give a care about God, you didn't give a thought about God, you were running like crazy from Him. He came after you and he began accepting you and began pursuing a relationship with you long before you had any interest in him. Paul says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He accepts you and accepts me the way that we are today. And I think that's the essence of what Christianity is all about. And you talk about having our best interests in mind. I think it's what we celebrate every time we get together, that that he hung on a cross and he died for our sin and he died for my sin and for your sin and he proved once and for all by expressing the ultimate sacrifice that he was more interested in what was best for you and for me than simply having some kind of a friendship. Because think about it this way. If while Jesus walked this earth and he wanted to make friends, If Jesus really wanted to have the biggest pool of acceptance that he could possibly have, there are some things that he probably shouldn't have said, 
right? He never should have said things like, I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the only way to your heavenly father. You don't make a lot of friends saying that kind of crazy stuff. He should have said, should, he should have maybe kept to himself, you know, the father sent me and I'm sent from God. Like you don't say that. Uh, several times he spoke to the Pharisees and the religious leaders and he called them things like hypocrites and vipers. He called them sepulchers, which is a, a tomb, a grave. And like, you don't say those kinds of things if you're trying to simply make friends. But here's what we need to hear, that our Savior was more interested in what's best for us. And he probably sacrificed potentially like tons of relationships and friendships uh, because he had to tell the truth, because he in himself was truth, and he had to tell the truth and communicate the truth about sin and the truth about me and the truth about you and the truth about himself. And in doing so, he proved that he was actually our true friend. And in doing so, he sets a standard for us. And in doing so, he provided a way to have a relationship with him. I love this verse in Proverbs uh, 27. says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy multiplies kisses. A kiss in this context was a sign of respect. It was a sign of a relationship. It was like a handshake. And the Bible says there are people who who do the things, act like, look like, feel like a friend, but that ultimately they function like enemies. Because not every relationship that looks like a friendship is a friendship. So here's the catch. These are not people who sit around at night and try to think of ways to destroy your life. Okay? On the contrary, their goal is to be your friend. They're not enemies in the intentional sense of the word, They're, but they are enemies in the consequential sense of the word, in the outcome, in the results of things. Like They're the kinds of people in your life who months or years down the road, you look back and you're like, you know something? It, as exciting as it's been, and we've had some good times, and it's, we've had some good laughs, but my life would be richer if I hadn't done my life with that person. Like if I could back up and do it all over again, even though we're kind of connected now over whatever kinds of things, like I don't know like how we're ever going to not be friends, but I wish I'd never met him or met her because the direction they've led me has not been good. Because there's a sense in which maybe they function practically like an enemy because of where you find yourself or what your thought life is or the habits that control you or the values that have flipped in your life because of the influence that they have or had in your life. So the Bible says there are people who initially, what this verse means, initially look like, act like, feel like friends, but it's not what it appears to be. So let me uh, tell you what I see. Here's what I see. Your enemies can set you back, but your counterfeit friend can ruin your life. An open enemy can set you back financially or relationally or in your reputation, but a counterfeit friend on the inner circle, the one that sits in a seat of influence in your life, they have the potential to ruin your life. And I've seen it over and over, and the excuse is, yeah, but they're my friend. Let me give you characteristics of a counterfeit. And these are characteristics of a counterfeit anything, not just a counterfeit friend. So number one, having a counterfeit in life reduces your incentive to seek out the real thing. So like if you had a huge stack of $100 bills that you printed in your, in your, on your printer, right? And you're getting away with passing them out and using them. Well done. How motivated are you? 
Like, how motivated are you at work? Like, why go out to earn a living and earn the real thing when I've got plenty of the fake thing and the fake thing seems to be working for me for now? See, whenever there's a counterfeit in your life, whatever that counterfeit is, it reduces your incentive for the real thing. And the same is true in relationships. And, the, and the, maybe the reason that maybe some of you are the reason all of us at some time and at all different ages oftentimes can't get the quality people in our lives that we need to is because we're not motivated. We're just, we're so busy. Who's got time for new friends to get to know new people? I've got my friends. Who's got time for real? Like, I got my friends. Maybe they're counterfeit. Who knows? I don't know. But I'm just like swallowed up with them right now. Who's got time for something more? When you're fulfilled with counterfeit, there's no incentive to go after the real thing. Then number two, a counterfeit appears to add value to your life, but in the end, it really doesn't. It's like a counterfeit. It's like, I'm better off. I'm doing all right. This is an improvement. But the truth is, you actually have less value. Like, it appears to add value. Oh, they're my friends. But in the end, you're worse off than when you started. And then number three, a counterfeit is hard to leave behind. So if on your way out today, uh, I gave you a big bag of $100 bills, and I said, hey, these are all counterfeit. Uh, would you throw them away from me? They're all counterfeit. Would you like maybe throw them, in, just burn them, burn them this afternoon. So you get home, you get the fire going, and you're like, oh man, surely there's something we can do with these. They look like the real thing. I'm not comfortable throwing $100 bills in the fire. Like, I got, there must be something. I don't want to put a stack of $100 bills in the fire. That's hard to do that. Must be something that can be salvaged. I mean, just burn them. That doesn't seem right. Let me tell you something. The same is true of a counterfeit friend. They're just really difficult to move out of the center of your life because they're friends, right? God loves them, you love them, God loves me, and what's gonna, they love me, and what's going to happen? Aren't we supposed to be Christians and be friends with everybody and all that? Counterfeit friends are really, really difficult, um, I don't know how to say this, to get rid of. Um, but let me tell you how you can spot them. Start by simply and honestly evaluating the direction of the relationship. Because here's something about relationships. They don't stand still. Relationships are always moving in a direction. You're like, wow, wow, you don't know about my marriage. We've been stagnant for 15 years. No, you have not. Every relationship is either growing or dying. It's moving in a direction. Because relationships are like living organisms. In order to find out if it's a counterfeit relationship, you need to, first of all, evaluate the direction of the friendship. Like, where is it going? Because it's going somewhere. Like, what has the, what has the most recent tendency been in, the, in terms of direction? And here's the thing. Like, we tend to, okay, I'm going to evaluate my relationship. We go back like 48 hours, as far as we go. We forget everything before that. We do like this 48-hour swing in our minds, and we're like, Somebody's like, how are you and your wife doing? Well, let me see. We haven't had a fight in two days, so we're great. How are you and your son? You're like, well, last night wasn't too good. We're not doing good at all. How are you and your boss in that dynamic? And you're like, well, been a pretty good this week. Took the week off, but it's, uh, it's been really good. <laughs> it's great. Our tendencies do this short-term 48-hour review, and from that determine how our relationship's doing, and that's not how you evaluate the health of a friendship. You need to get a feel for the general direction of a relationship. And here's the thing. Like if, if you started here and you remember when you were here and now you're here, chances are the next place you're going to find yourself is like here, right? But to wait until things get like so out of hand to realize that ooh, this relationship, like we have a problem. 
that's foolish and irresponsible because you're smart enough to know where the relationship is going. And God wants you and I to make decisions about our relationships, not based on what is just now, but where we sense they are heading. If you're in a relationship with some people or with an individual and you're worried about where it's headed, but you're like, well, we're not there yet, but something on the inside of you is like, well, I'm worried because, but why deal with it now? Because we haven't gotten there yet, and we haven't gone there yet, and haven't gotten this far, and it's not gotten out of control, and so far I'm able to like, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I think God would basically say to us, like, you're, you're just being foolish here, because if it started there, and it went there, and now you're here, like, it, it, this is where, get out. Be like being on a raft in a river with white water, and somebody's like, how's the river? Oh, it's fine. Right here, like right here now, it's kind of calm right here. What's ahead? I don't know. I heard some stuff. I don't know if I can believe it or not, but uh, it probably doesn't matter because right now it's pretty good. We're not there yet. You don't do that. That's, that's irresponsible and dangerous, and, but our, that's our tendency in our relationships. So what are we supposed to do? Let me give you the big picture. Let's put up, uh, let's put up these circles, Jen. Um, so we got a, got a, that's you. And um, we got a small circle and we got a bigger circle. The small circle on the inside is your circle of influence. Those are the people in your life that are close to you and they influence you. And all of us have them. Outside that circle is a circle of concern. Those are the people we are concerned about. They don't influence us. We may not influence them, but we care and we're concerned about them and they care and are concerned about us. What you and I must do when it is clear that we have a counterfeit friend, like it looks like, feels like, sounds like a friend, but it's not the real thing, our only hope is to somehow, and I'm warning you it's not easy and you're not going to get a whole lot of how-tos from me, but it's because it's always messy, someone always gets their feelings hurt, somehow, some way, you just got to move them out of the circle of influence and into the circle of concern. And if you don't do that, your history... You don't end up where you think you're going to end up. You're like, but doesn't God love these people? Yeah, that's exactly why we got to do these hard things. Well, doesn't God care about them? That's exactly why we got to move them out of the seat of influence in our lives into a circle of concern. Because here's the deal. You and I can't be to them what God has called us to be to them as long as they sit in the seat of influence in our lives. That was a little preachy. So I'm going to repeat it. That's what preachers do. You and I can't be to them what God has called us to be to them as long as they sit in the seat of influence in our lives. Because you're the influencee rather than the influencer. And to change that dynamic is messy and it's uncomfortable and it's emotional. And you might come off looking like a jerk. There's just no easy way to do this. But I'll tell you what, for the sake of your survival spiritually and emotionally and relationally and maybe in your marriage or your future friendships, maybe somebody that God wants to bring into your life, you've got to do this. The Proverbs also say the companion of fools, the companion of counterfeits suffers harm. Like not on the first day. But eventually. And relationships don't always fall into neat little categories. And it's tough, but I'm telling you it's a matter of survival and thriving. You know, you know it's like it's like it's like two drowning men holding on to each other going down a river. And finally one's like, hey buddy, I'm breaking free. It's like, don't leave me. I'm breaking free and I'm gonna get hell. I'm gonna get to shore, I'm gonna get to solid ground. And he runs down the shore and he throws in a lifeline. Like, doesn't everybody win that way? And doesn't everybody lose the other way? And because it's a counterfeit, 
and it feels so real and it meets our acceptance need. It's just so hard to break away from that and to change the dynamic of that. And, and by the way, when you begin to move somebody out of the, off the seat of influence into the circle of concern, they aren't going to understand that. They aren't going to appreciate that. They aren't going to say, well, I really respect your convictions and your beliefs on this. I really understand that. I just admire you for walking away from me in this way and ditching me as your friend. That isn't good. Like, no one's going to be grateful for that. But there comes a point where you don't really have a choice if you want to move forward and continue to grow as a person. Because we know that our friends, the people in the inner circle, will influence and may determine the direction and the quality of our lives. Maybe as I've been talking, some names and faces have come to your mind. I didn't read your mail. I wasn't sneaking around. I didn't, didn't hack your phone or whatever. I'm not poking into your business. This is, just a, this is the human experience. This is so common. So this morning, if you're thinking, first of all, man, I'm never coming to this church again. Uh, just let me tell you, you're here now, so let's just, just, just hang with it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do with any of that. But if the Holy Spirit has touched a nerve in you, please, please, please do something with that. Just do something with that. And I think God says to us, this isn't a compassionless exercise. It's actually an exercise in compassion. It isn't an insensitive exercise. It's an exercise in sensitivity. And it isn't an unloving thing to do. It might be the most loving thing you can do. And it seems absurd and it seems upside down. And it kind of makes you mad and it hurts you at the same time, right? But my prayer is that God would give us a grace and allow us to be instruments of his grace to help us make transitions in the context of some friendships so that one day God could possibly move you back into that person's life, but this time on the side of the river with the lifeline of grace to throw to them, to bring them out of the stuff that's taken them down towards dysfunction and destruction. I'm going to close and I'm going to invite the band and the singers to come to the stage while I wrap up. I want, to I want to close by uh, addressing a group of you who, who, uh, who say maybe like many of us have that like, when I think of Jesus, I don't think of enjoyment. When I think of Jesus, I don't think of acceptance because he's this and I'm that and there's a gap and how are we ever going to get together? And when I think of Jesus, I'm not really sure. I'm not convinced that he has my best interests in mind. There's a lot of upside down stuff and the things that he taught. And then there was this that happened to me. What's that about? My dad, this, and my mom. And, and how in the world can I be sure that Jesus can be trusted as a friend? The answer to that question is this. When you leave here this morning, and you spend time with your friends this week, your, those friends, maybe those closest friends uh, are people who meet all three of these criteria, enjoyment, acceptance, and genuine concern. This is especially true if you've come today at someone's invitation. Because when you invite someone to come to church, you are taking a risk. You know that. You're risking a lot. You're risking the friendship, maybe. You've set up a potentially awkward situation. But the person who invited you today, or maybe way back when, when they invited you the first time, that person obviously cares about you very much. So much that they were willing to risk the comfort of your friendship for what they hoped you would experience in this place. So as you leave today or maybe you sit together over lunch or you spend time together this week with someone, I dare you to ask the person maybe who brought you to church for the first time who are, or the person who engages in conversations about spiritual things with you, like ask them, do you really think that Jesus can be trusted as a friend? Like what does that look like even? 
And let your friend tell you how he discovered, she discovered what may seem like a bizarre, abstract kind of thing, but became very real in their life. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is very much alive. He doesn't want to be a far off big brother or from a distance God. He wants you to relate to him as a friend. And he proved once and for all because he's given us joy. He's accepted us the way that we are. He died for our sins and made way for a relationship. My greatest desire for you is that you would understand friendship, but more importantly, that you would understand friendship this way and come to know Jesus Christ in a very personal way. Thank you for listening. Let's stand together and sing.